You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. The British people have had enough of waiting. The time has come to act. People are really angry out there. They're angry that the referendum's not being carried out. But they're even angrier that politicians' promises to them have been broken. Given how huge this decision is for our country, the severe consequences there will be for generations, it is time to put this back to the people and stop this Brexit chaos. We will do everything necessary to stop a disastrous no deal. You're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to politics. I'm Roger Hearing, and today, well, there's only one subject on our minds, of course, which is what's going with the Brexit bill, the WAB as it's known, that's going through Parliament at the moment. At least there'll be two significant votes in a few hours' time that may tell us what the course of that voting may be. I'll be very pleased to be joined here in the studio by Adam Blemford, who's editor of our Bloomberg Brexit Bulletin, but also by Jim Fitzpatrick, the Labour MP, who's with us here today and we'll talk in some detail about what could happen and what should happen in the coming hours. But let's start with what has happened because Boris Johnson has put through the legislation into Parliament. He's published the withdrawal bill so that the UK in his terms can leave by the EU by October the 31st. That's the deadline he set. But of course, many MPs have criticised the Prime Minister for trying to push through the Brexit deal by Thursday night, three days supposedly, to get this immense bill, 100-page document through. The Shadow Education Secretary, Angela Rayner, said they needed more, pro- more time to properly scrutinise it. We haven't been given the opportunity as a parliament to scrutinise and to put our own ideas forward. They've tried to ram this deal through. I think it's frustrating and the enthusiasm that we've got in the Shadow Cabinet is to stop a no-deal Brexit crashing out. But the government, of course, defends their position on that. They say it is important to meet this deadline. Here's the Housing Minister, Robert Jenrick. There will be a number of days of debate. Those MPs who want to pour over the details will have the time to do so. The vast majority of MPs, I think, know where they stand on this issue. Do you want to deliver Brexit? Do you want the country to move forward? If you do, then get on and deliver this. Well, I'm going to pick up some of that with Jim Fitzpatrick in a moment. First, let's come to Adam Blenford, editor of the Bloomberg Brexit Bulletin, who's with us here in the studio. So, Adam, first of all, take us through what is going to be happening tonight and roughly what time and what will MPs be asked? Thanks, Roger. Um, the, the, the Tonight's the first opportunity for uh, Jim and his colleagues in the House of Commons to, to get a chance to put um, a, a marker down as to whether they actually support the substance of 
uh, Prime Minister Boris Johnson's bill, uh, deal, uh, in the form of the Brexit, uh, the withdrawal agreement bill, which is the, the implementing vehicle for trying to get the deal through onto the, the, the British statute book to become the law of the land. Um, you know, Brexit won't happen or can't really happen on the October the 31st if this legislation isn't on the statute book. Um, uh, the deal won't be implemented. So um, it's a really important process um, and it starts with what's known as the second reading. That's the first time that uh, members of parliament get the chance to have that vote. That would I mean, the, te- the terminology is quite de- deceptive here because obviously it's the second reading technically but actually it's the first time they get to give their view. That is correct, yes. Um, welcome to Britain. Um, uh, so the, uh, Jim can elaborate yeah, on the, the history Jim of this, I'm sure. we'll, we'll come into that very shortly. But, you know, effectively that, that first vote will be the one that happens and that's due around 7 o'clock tonight after a number of hours of debate. So debate's right. going to open in half an hour or so, at half past 12, and MPs will sort of work through that throughout the day and then at about 7pm they're due to get that second reading vote. And then that's that's immediately going to be followed by a vote on the government's proposed timetable for getting this all through. That's what you were alluding to. Uh, and and that's really intro. the most controversial part, isn't it, that, that's up there today. There's a certain feeling that perhaps the WAB, as we'll call it, the, the bill itself, might go through. But there's a great deal more controversy about trying to rush it through in this way. Well, again, Jim uh, is in the Commons with all of his uh, <laughs> all of his colleagues and he, he hears the gossip. But you know what it seems to seems to be the case is that there's there's a, a, potentially a greater number of, of of MPs who are willing to back the deal than there are numbers of MPs who really care about it happening the exit happening on October the 31st that, you know that's a different matter that's Boris Johnson's um, stated deadline he's sort of hung his hat on that peg he said this must happen do or die etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, but in actual fact MPs normally, and indeed uh, peers in the House of Lords, are used to scrutinising legislation for much longer than three days. Well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, this is not even just like a minor bill. This is a major piece of legislation. It's it's almost unprecedented, isn't it, and to try and get something through in this standard timescale? Um... I, I think so. You know, there was, there was a, there's been some, uh, certainly been some comparisons made this morning with, you know, much more minor pieces of legislation that have, uh, have, have, have taken uh, much longer debate. Yes, and it's 100 pages with 125 pages of explanatory notes as well. So presumably Jim had a fun night reading all of that. Well, now I think probably is the time to come to Jim, the man who knows in that sense. So, Jim, first of all, welcome to uh, our studio. Thanks, I think you probably Labour MP for, for Poplar uh, and... and uh, and Limehouse, that's that's correct. And you're just just to make it, you're actually not going to be standing in whatever election comes down the road. This is your final moment, as it were. Is that uh, right? Well, it says I said in 2015 that um, I hoped to retire at the next general election, which in in those days would have been 2020 under the fixed term Parliament Act. But uh, Prime, Prime Minister May um, put a spanner in that uh, plan with the uh, snap election in 2017. So it's now going to be 2022. But all the talk of an early general election um, means that it could be this year or next year. But um, still on the uh, timetable of the fixed term Parliament Act is 2022. But certainly whenever the next general election arrives, um, that that will be enough for me. And just to be able to give people a sense of where you're coming from this, because you are quite unusual being in in the Labour the Parliamentary Labour Party, but having voted for Theresa May's did, bill, yeah. and uh, I, I I think you are, you would consider yourself to be in favour of 
a deal, although I believe you were Remain supporter before, is that correct? I uh, I voted and campaigned for, uh, for Remain. Uh, I've taken the view since then that uh, having lost the referendum, we should respect that outcome. Okay. Uh, the Labour manifesto in 2017 said that that's what we would do. We voted to revoke um, Article 50. Um, my main driver has um, always been to do everything I could to prevent a no deal, which I think would be the uh, the worst um, out outcome. Um, and uh, my conclusion was that the best way to prevent no deal was to support a deal. So I voted against Prime Minister May's first two meaningful votes. But on the third one, when I thought we were getting towards a conclusion, I voted for it. Okay. Um, and uh, in, in principle, support Pri uh, Prime Minister Johnson's bill. Um, on the basis that we do, uh, okay. we are now running up against the clock. Right, which is what I wanted to come to. What are we going to do in the second half of the programme? We're going to talk about perhaps some of what's in the WAB, sure. as we're going to call it for, for ease of reference. But what, I want to look at process, because the process is fascinating. So let, let's go to that. Now, you are likely then to vote tonight for in favour of the second reading. Is that yes. correct? Yeah. Okay. What about the timetable because this is what has struck people as something quite extraordinary that you're trying to put as, as Adam was saying just now something of this complexity and importance through in breakneck speed in parliamentary time I mean it just, just takes through what, what actually happens with a bill normally what do you do how would you proceed with getting a bill through well second reading um, which is as Adam explained the first proper debate on any piece of legislation first reading is actually when the bill is published and it's out there um, in the public domain second reading usually follows um, some uh, weeks later uh, there is a full debate um, on the bill usually then there's another couple of weeks before it goes into standing committee because that's the let's take people through who perhaps not aware it doesn't just go through yes we voted through it's done it then goes into the elements of it are taken apart by a committee or several committees second second reading is uh, the introduction to the piece of legislation where people have the opportunity to listen to the government explain what the uh, uh, core intention of the bill is and what they uh, hope to do um, if the bill passes its second reading it goes into committee where a number of MPs are nominated to scrutinize that bill line by line clause by clause uh, debate discuss and vote on amendments um, that will take usually days weeks and months depending on how complicated the bill is and then it comes back. It comes back onto the floor for what is known as third reading, right. uh, which is the final debate in the Commons, where there will be a last opportunity to vote on um, amendments and any uh, last-minute changes. Uh, and once we finish with it, we send it to the House of Lords. Assuming and, it's passed. And they start all over again. Okay. And any changes they might have will come back to the Commons before the bill goes to Her Majesty uh, for signature and assent and introduction into law. That sounds like a lengthy process now. It, it's, it usually is. Yeah. Um, it's not um, unprecedented uh, for urgent legislation to pass through the Commons very quickly. Uh, the adage about legislating at haste, repent at leisure, uh, is one um, phrase which is regularly used, and I'll be very surprised if it's not mentioned a few times this I afternoon. I can imagine. But also, I mean, there was, well, one should say perhaps that, that, that people who say, now what's wrong with this timetable? The Ben Act passed, after all, in remarkably fast time, the act that forced uh, Boris Johnson to write his letter to the EU. If you can do that, why can't you do this? Uh, indeed. And uh, 
uh, the other argument um, for those who defend the timetable uh, is that this isn't new stuff. Um, we've been knocking around on Brexit for three and a half years. We started debating the meaningful vote process from Prime Minister May in November last year. Um, we had three meaningful votes. Uh, the Prime Minister's deal with the European Union was published uh, last week, two weeks ago. Um, most of us have been through that with a fine-tooth comb. This is the parliamentary and legal presentation of that withdrawal deal. So it's not brand new, despite the fact it was only published last night. It's been around. Well, uh, briefly, we're coming to the end of this half, so I'll ask you, what do you think, very briefly, about the timetable? Would you vote for the timetable as put out there? I, I think um, my expectation is I will vote for the timetable. You will vote in favour? On the basis that it's 95% of the May deal from March last year, which I voted for then. Um, it is the withdrawal agreement bill agreed between the EU and the UK. Um, it's no different to that. Um, and I think the principle of moving the country forward has got to be done. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Welcome back to Bloomberg Westminster with me, Roger Herring, where we're considering the thing that is going through Parliament this evening, which we're going to call the WAB, which is the withdrawal bill from the European Union. In a few hours' time, Boris Johnson will attempt to get a second reading through, which means a provisional approval, and then we'll also attempt to put in a timetable to push the whole thing through in about three days, which uh, many many have said is far too fast, although uh, one of my guests, my guests today here in the programme, uh, Jim Fitzpatrick, Labour MP, thinks it's certainly doable. Uh, Adam Blenford, editor of Bloomberg Brexit Bulletin also with me. Just to feed into all this, let me read out a couple of lines that are coming from today's paper. Some very interesting pieces. Raphael Hogarth, who's an associate at the Institute for Government, the Institute for Government think tank, has been saying in The Times, the EU withdrawal bill, which the Prime Minister has promised to bring forward this week, will be a statute whose constitutional significance is matched only by its political toxicity. The Brexit deal is at present a draft international treaty. The bill would give it an effect into domestic law. It's unusual because an act of parliament passed last year, the government is not allowed to ratify the treaty on the UK's behalf until the legislation's passed. The bill will have to implement as well the new protocol on Ireland, which would introduce some customs checks on goods moving from Britain to Northern Ireland. And that part of the agreement is so new, officials will have had little time to work with the legislation. So he sees it as several, several traps in the actual bill. James Blitz in the Financial Times uh, takes it apart quite interestingly. Many oppositions, he says, believe it's impossible for Britain to conclude a full trade treaty with the EU by December 2020. They therefore fear that Britain will fall out of the EU with no deal if the UK fails to apply for an extension to the transition by the stated deadline of July 2020. He says opposition MPs want Parliament to have the right to demand an extension to the transition by next July. However, Clause 30 of the WAB doesn't allow this. 
Now, as a quote also from Hilary Benn, of course, who famously in whose name the act was that forced Boris Johnson to write to the EU applying for an extension, Hilary Benn says, if the government doesn't propose an extension, Parliament would have no say, we would exit the transition period on the 31st of December 2020, even if a new trade agreement hadn't been reached by then. It would mean no deal in just 14 months from now. So uh, let me come to you, Adam, on this. I mean, there's a lot in this bill. I don't think we need to get into absolutely the nitty gritty. But this clause to do with an, a possible future extension, it has become a bit of a bugbear, hasn't it? It's certainly emerging that way. It's it's not, excuse me, it's not um, desperately new, right? The, the, the transition period has been mooted and was uh, has been known about since the draft of Theresa May's first Brexit deal emerged um, back last year. And, and in fact, the extension that was granted back in uh, March and April 2018 um, started eating into the existing mandated transition period. The, the European Union hasn't extended the transition. So we're, we're already we're already, already in that kind of cliff edge, slightly rolling cliff edge phase. Um, but yes, if uh, th- what's interesting about this is that is that the the transition period expires at the end of 2020. And, and at that point, um, the UK and the EU are expected to have arranged a free trade agreement in order to begin implementing the provisions and finding a relationship as set out in the political declaration, which accompanies the deal, um, the withdrawal agreement. But as many uh, sort of eminent observers have pointed out, um, large nations and major trading blocs tend to find it extremely difficult to seal trade agreements of such scope in a uh, little over a year. I was say, Canada it's, took about seven years, didn't it? Uh, exactly. And, um, you know, the EU is in sort of rolling negotiations with the United States and, and, and Japan has been an issue as well. So while, uh, you know, there's been a lot of a bluster, and there's been a lot of uh, uh, high rhetoric around Brexit for several years now. Easiest trade deal in the world ever to strike. All these sort of statements will be put into a phase where we'll be tested on those once again. And the important thing is to try and separate the politics from the possible. And 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 somehow that hasn't always happened throughout this process. And you know what what could very well be the case is that in three or six months' time, the politics hasn't progressed in the same way as uh, ambitions had said. And and we're going to be back in this kind of um, position where Parliament or our national leaders on both sides are having to discuss whether they can extricate or extend. And, um, you know, it's it's been a, as Jim probably knows from being within the Commons, it's been a difficult and probably exhausting process for everybody. I think everyone's and pretty much Most people probably that. aren't keen to get back there. Well, indeed. I mean, well, Jim, let me come to you on that. OK, first of all, on this possibility, which certainly Hilary Benn, uh, your colleague, has, has pointed out, and many others have, is there a risk that actually we're not losing no deal, we're just postponing no deal? Well, of course there's a, a risk, but the comments has demonstrated significantly um, every time the question of no deal comes up that there's a, a good majority against no deal. Um, so the risk um, that we're going to somehow crash out because nobody's going to see it coming and suddenly we're bounced into no deal, um, I don't think is a prospect at all. Um, but I think with this is actually is possi- there's, no, there's, no, there's no clause for Parliament to make any further decisions, I understand. It becomes a government thing. I don't know. Is that right, Adam, that, that this ex- the extension itself, applying for a further extension, I think I certainly read somewhere, wasn't something that was open to MPs? 
And indeed, the government are always in charge of the agenda. But as been demonstrated several times over the past six months, the Commons mm. don't need to respect that. The Commons can... can put down a motion to say um, we want control of the agenda um, and can pass decisions and government will then have to take notice. Adam wants in. There is a fascinating subplot here I'm curious about. If we end up with an election, either at the end of this year or early next year, so... so yourself you're standing down Jim and plenty of other uh, MPs on both the Conservative and the Labour benches are standing down um, the makeup of the Commons could well be very different even if the mathematics num this stays the same even if an election returns the same breakdown of MPs uh, hung we're going to have yeah. a, a hung parliament with no perhaps con stonking Conservative majority for example uh, or even a Labour largest party or, or majority we're, we're going to potentially have people with more extreme views more deeply held views perhaps on either side and you know, that, that, that what that means for Parliament's willingness to uh, approve an extension, uh, if necessary, or to consider no deal, that would be really fascinating that, to see because things could change. Jim, what do you think? It's very difficult to see um, how the Commons could become more polarised than it is at, at the moment. That's there, fair. there are very few of us in the middle who are trying to support a compromise and to reach across to both sides and say we've, we've got to move on this because just standing and shouting at each other uh, doesn't uh, work anymore. Um, and of course to get to a general election, there has to be a two-thirds majority of MPs, 434, to overcome the Fixed Term Parliament Act. There are many Labour colleagues who are quite frightened that um, uh, Boris Johnson gets his bill this week and then calls the general election and goes to the country saying, I've sorted Brexit, which for most people, um, they will think Brexit has been sorted. We know this is just the threshold. We know this is just the framework for years, probably, of negotiation on all the details. a very long way but, to go. But Psychologically, this the, this vote this evening, or these two votes this evening, um, is likely to be the first time Parliament is actually voted in favour of something to do with Brexit. Yeah. So psychologically, we crossed that uh, threshold as well. Um, so if, if the Prime Minister gets his uh, deal, he could go to the country saying, I've sorted Brexit. However, if he doesn't get his deal, he could equally seek to go to the country and say, I've tried to get you Brexit, but these people aren't letting me. Yeah. So either way, he's got a platform. But Labour has to vote for a general well, election for one to happen. Well, that's what I was going to say. Let me pick up on another thing that's in, in the WAB which is of issue for Labour very much, is workers' rights. Now, we yes. heard in the debate on Saturday, the, I yes. think the assurance given by Boris Johnson that workers' rights will not be in any way worse than yep. they would be inside the EU. Are you, I mean, you've said you're going to vote in favour of both the two things tonight. Are you convinced that workers' rights are protected? Uh, I, I am. I think that um, uh, there is clear commitment given in the documentation. We'll be seeking um, reassurances again um, from the front bench this afternoon in the course of the, the debate. Um, I've never been committed to alignment between us and the European Union, workers' rights in the UK on many aspects, on maternity, paternity, leave and pay, national minimum wage, health and safety have always been in excess of those that Europe have, in, have introduced. What we certainly don't want to see is any deterioration or diminution of workers' rights, but we should have the opportunity to see anything that they pass, debate it and vote on it in the Commons. But if we want to move further forward on workers' rights, we should have the opportunity to do that. Um, so I'm not worried about the alignment question, but I do want to make sure that we've got enshrined the protection on workers' rights, environmental safeguards, consumer protection as well. But how would you 
do you ensure that? Because, I mean, many on your on your own benches have said, look, we don't believe Boris Johnson's assurances. Well, um, again, that comes down to the discussions and the debate because all of this is going to be part of the implementation period and that's going to take time as well. Um, all of this will come out. There are people who are trying to say that today is the last opportunity to do anything, and that's not the case. Today is just the first opportunity to pave the way to do the detailed discussion and negotiations and the UK's position and the negotiation with the European Union. But you Union. might be trapped by what you're voting for today in, 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 in how much you can actually change anything in the future. Well, I don't, uh, I don't think that is the case. I think this is the, the principal opportunity to say for the first time uh, Brexit um, uh, and Leave won the uh, referendum in 2016. We're going to move forward. We're going to implement. What about your party saying you shouldn't do this? Do you care now what your party thinks? Yeah, of course I care. Um, I care about my, my uh, own constituency party members. I care about my colleagues in the Commons. I care about my constituents and uh, family and friends, who many of whom uh, take an entirely different view to me. Um, I don't do this lightly, and I don't do it with any pleasure, and I certainly don't do it to make me feel happy, because that's not the case. And on Saturday in the Commons, there were parliamentary colleagues in tears um, before the vote took place. Um, and today just brings all that pressure back again. But you are emotional, fixed on what you will do. Emotional and political. Um, I'm pretty fixed. Uh, I've I voted several times now with the government. I can't see me voting against the propositions this evening. All right. Jim, thanks so much for being with us. Jim Fitzpatrick there, uh, Labour MP for Poplar and Limehouse. Also with me, uh, Adam Blenford, editor of the Bloomberg Brexit Bulletin. Uh, very, very briefly, Adam, literally in kind of two words, do you think those two measures will pass tonight? Perhaps second reading might go through, but the programme motion is much tighter. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.